Hello, you're listening to On Israel in Al Monitor. This is Ben Kaspid from Tel Aviv. Israel is gearing up to a Biden administration with some concern, even as it tries to squeeze a few final drops from the unbelievably juicy White House orange. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu assures Israelis that he and Biden go way back some 40 years, while the foreign ministry is busy trying to network with Biden's team. Reports that the president-elect might name Hillary Clinton as his ambassador to the UN are causing indigestion in the prime minister's residence. We will never know whether a second-term Trump would have continued to shower Israel and Netanyahu with the bountiful gifts as he did during his first term. In four years' time, we will know whether Biden has been as generous. What is clear right now is that the Netanyahu regime must give up the blatant favorism it has displayed toward the GOP, and Trump in particular, and embark on a voyage of reconciliation with the Democrats, including efforts to persuade Biden to prevent a significant foothold for the progressive, some say radical, wing of his party in future U.S. foreign policy. Our guest today is an Egyptian-born, Israeli-American media and entertainment tycoon, Israel's point person in the Democratic Party, a personal friend of the Clintons, and a man who breathed a huge sigh of relief at Biden's election. Chaim Saban knows a thing or two about the corridors of power in Washington and Jerusalem. He was a welcome guest in the Clinton and Obama White House, and will probably be just as welcome in the Biden White House if Donald Trump ever moves out. He is also highly respected in Israel, which left decades ago, but continues to publicly and actively support on numerous fronts. Although he disagrees with Netanyahu's views and his policies that have dangerously undermined traditional American bipartisan support of Israel, he has kept touch with the Prime Minister over the years. Chaim Saban will be with us right after this short break. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about the Middle East. And if you do, you should probably be reading El Monitor. El Monitor is a global newsroom headquartered in Washington, D.C., with a network of over 160 contributors around the world. El Monitor offers first-class reporting and analysis from a range of perspectives and an approach that represents the highest journalistic standards, as well as an award-winning commitment to press freedom and independence. If you haven't done so already, visit us at elmonitor.com, check out our articles, and sign up for our free newsletters. There's a lot to choose from, including the Week in Review, an essay that offers unusual insights and forecasts into the region based upon El Monitor's outstanding reporting. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe to our El Monitor podcast on your favorite podcast platform, on Israel with Ben Caspit and on the Middle East with me. Andrew Parasoliti. Now we say uh, shalom to Chaim Saban, our friend, and thank you for joining Al Monitor's On Israel podcast. Hi, Chaim. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'll ask you on a scale of zero to 100, where were you located? Uh, zero is total depression and 100 is uh, the ultimate joy. Where do you locate yourself the minute uh, Joe Biden was declared the president-elect of the United States of America? 
Well, I was pretty happy. I don't know that I would put it in on a scale of zero to 100, but I was pretty happy uh, with the return to decency and normalcy and, uh, you know, a more presidential president. Uh, not to mention the fact that on many issues, uh, whatever Joe Biden believes in, I believe in. Uh, and have for many years. And, uh, you know, four years after you suffered with, with millions of Americans, this huge disappointment uh, with the loss of uh, Hillary uh, Rodham Clinton to Trump, what do you think Biden had this in this campaign that Hillary Clinton did not have in the previous campaign? What made the difference? Four years of Trump. <laughs> You know, a friend of mine uh, is very, very close uh, to the president. And I asked him during the Democratic primaries, I said, tell me something. Who do you guys fear the most from of these 17 candidates who can beat Trump? And that person's answer, who is very close to Trump, was only one person can beat Trump. And it's Trump. And he was right about that. He was absolutely right about that. Not to mention the fact that I think that uh, Biden ran a very, very professional uh, and very different kind of campaign than Trump. You just look at the first debate. One behaves like a child, interrupting all the time and, and, and you know, and quasi cursing, etc. And Biden remained what he is, which is substantive and presidential. So, you know, you put all these elements together and it explains what is, but, you know, by Trump's definition, uh, a landslide of 302 um, electoral voted. Uh, electoral votes. I think it's uh, 306 uh, right now. I'm sorry, 306. My mistake. Exactly what? Exactly the number that the Trump uh, won uh, four years ago, which he called the landslide. A landslide. Chaim uh, Saban, I read an interesting piece this uh, week by Aaron David Miller, that was headlined: "Trump was great for Netanyahu, Biden will be better for Israel." Do you agree with this assessment? If so, please uh, elaborate. I agree 100%. Uh, if you are on the side of uh, believing that separating from the Palestinians is the right thing to do, if you believe in diplomacy before military actions, uh, then this is where Biden is. And frankly, this is where I am. And in the case of Trump, you know, he hit Iran on the head multiple times. And where are we? We have today uh, Iran with a stockpile of low enriched uranium that is more than 10 times the amount they had. Uh, it is uh, three times more enriched than it was. Uh, and Iran has opened uh, additional fronts against Israel uh, in Syria, has armed Hezbollah with 130,000 uh, rockets. So that policy 
that had, which by the way, getting out of the Iran deal, I, you know, I was very happy and supportive of it. The problem is that in the test of results and where we are today, it's a very disappointing outcome and very dangerous outcome. Therefore, the, 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 the strategy has failed. Iran's strategy under Trump has failed. And Bibi is happy with the strategy, but it has failed. Okay, I, I plan to talk about Iran later, but, but I'll catch up with you because decision makers in Jerusalem are particularly worried about Biden's Iran policy. Everyone realizes that Biden will try to reach a new agreement with Iran, as Trump would have uh, too. Will he adhere to the tough principles of his predecessor, insist on continued sanctions, and strive to plug the holes in the first nuclear agreement? Or will his policy be more conci conciliatory, more the, the Obama style? What do you think from, from what you see uh, right now in, in the Biden team, etc.? They're not mutually exclusive. In other words, uh, if I were advising President-elect um, Biden, I would say to him, you know, keep the sanctions in place and engage, or maybe lift some of them. Because there are human beings in Iran too that are suffering from the corona, from the economy and everything. Give them some relief, not complete total relief, back to where it was. Give them some relief and engage in negotiation for a better agreement. And here's a question for all those that are concerned. If Biden got to an agreement with Iran that locks them in, an agreement that locks them in, locks them in, I repeat, locks them in to never, ever be able to develop a nuclear weapon. Is that a preferable deal to any other option? In my humble opinion, yes, it is. The problem is that uh, many in Israel thought that the, the, the agreement that Obama had for maybe 10 or 12 years uh, total was not good enough, not long enough. Now, now Biden will try to do better, but You've been there in the in the Obama years, I know, and 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 you you tried to shuffle between the the rivals, and you saw the, all the bad blood between the White House and and Balfour in Jerusalem. Do you think Netanyahu will be able in this time to be in the room of the negotiation? One of Netanyahu's complaints was that they didn't let me let Israel in the room of negotiations with Iran. Can he do? better with Biden? Do you think it's possible? It really depends on his legal problems. Everything with Bibi at the moment, and frankly, if I were objective, which I'm not, uh, I don't blame him. Everything, he, he needs to find a way, and every and all ways are good enough uh, to either avoid the a court uh, appearance or or postpone it, or whatever he's planning to. So it's all driven by that, as we see at multiple levels, from the budget and everything else. Uh, it's about how do we postpone that trial, or how do I get out of that trial? So I cannot answer what, uh, whether Bibi will be satisfied or not. If it addresses his personal issues, he will be satisfied. 
And if it doesn't, he will not be. I want to ask you about an issue that you're maybe the best expert on is the relations between the bipartisan support of Congress and the United States and Israel, and especially the bad blood between Israel and the Democrats in recent years. This is no secret. Do you think Netanyahu should prepare for some sort of vendetta by the Biden administration to punish him and his government for their total dedication to Trump? And the Republicans, what do you think Netanyahu should do to defuse this bomb before it, it explodes? He did not do it yet because, you know, he was the, the last one to congratulate Biden and still did not say the, the, the words president-elect Joe, Joe Biden. Well, Bibi is afraid of Trump. It's really yeah. as simple as that. He's afraid. I don't know what he's afraid of, but he's afraid that Trump would get mad at, at him. And if he stops... Uh, supporting all of Trump's actions blindly, then he's fine with Trump. But he's afraid that if he, you know, drops one thing that Trump doesn't like onto the Israeli and the American public, i.e. calling Biden president-elect, he, you know, the unpredictability of Trump is causing him to pause congratulate, but not all the way by calling him president-elect. So, um, you know, I don't really blame Bibi for this uh, because Trump is indeed unpredictable and it's really hard to know what he will do. He, he could turn on Bibi in a heartbeat, like he has turned on so many people that were loyal to him. There's a lot of similarities, by the way, when you look at it, uh, between Bibi and Trump, you know, turning on the people that were loyal to them. Um, so that's that. You know, a friend of mine, for whom I have the utmost respect and was a leading advisor to President Trump, said to me that... Uh, Bibi is Trump with brains. Think about it. <laughs> brains and education. He reads books, you know, he's not exactly Trump, but I understood totally what you just said. With brains, <laughs> with brains being the key. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there is an assumption also, even in the prime minister's uh, neighborhood, you know, that uh, uh, Trump in, in the second term could be more dangerous to Netanyahu than Biden's first term, because then... In, in the second term, it doesn't need nobody, no the evangelists and no Netanyahu, and he wants a Nobel Prize, and he's the dealmaker, and maybe Trump would be the guy that go to the Iranians and give them, give them a very good deal for them. Do you think it's uh, logical? His unpredictability, you know, puts anyone who tries to predict in an impossible situation. It's impossible to predict what this man will do. And by the way, it's impossible for him to predict what he will do. He shoots from the hip, talks to Erdogan on the phone, and commits to remove the Syrian forces from Syria. And the guy in charge, well, never mind Mattis, who resigned because of this, uh, you know, and never mind the head of the American forces in Syria who learned about it from the media. Uh, so he, he shoots from the hip, as he said himself, quote, on the Golan issues, give me a quickie. 
<laughs> as he said himself, you want one state, it's fine. You want two states, also fine. And as a wise lady said, you want ice cream. I've got ice cream too. So basically, you know, he's unpredictable. So it's hard to say what he would have done in a second term, which for the record ain't happening. I, we hope so. Uh, going back to the relations between Israel and the Democratic Party, do you think it's the bad blood that we just uh, spoke about is reversible? Can we fix it? Well, first of all, if I were to address both Biden and Kamala Harris, Biden has 40 plus years of track record. Is he going to turn that positive attitude and his pristine record in votes in support of the U.S.-Israel alliance into 180 degrees the opposite, doesn't make any sense. He would never do that because we have 40 years of plus of um, the way he approached the U.S.-Israel alliance. Kamala Harris, just go on her website when she was running for president herself, and the website speaks for itself, uh, you know, as to where she is on the U.S.-Israel alliance. Now, as to the Democratic Party, it is true that there is a small minority called the Squad, led by AOC, that has a very different approach to the U.S.-Israel um, relationship. Uh, unfortunately, that small minority has grown after the last election, but it's still a small minority. However, it's very loud. It's a very loud any uh, uh, minority and it paints the whole democratic party uh, with the same brush and they position the whole democratic party in light and in the prism of who they are but that isn't the case the vast majority of the democratic party uh, is still supportive of israel However, they do have issues with Bibi and his policies, but that is not new. That goes back since the beginning of time when Bibi uh, became prime minister. There's nothing new there. The Democrats believe in two-state solutions, and Bibi believes in getting out of his legal problems. I mean, so that creates huge conflicts. And then just to wrap up that issue, 75% of Jews voted for Joe Biden. Uh, yes, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, as someone close to the Clintons and Hillary as, as specifically, can you confirm reports that President-elect Biden plans to appoint her as a, the US ambassador to the UN? And do you think this would be bad news for Netanyahu or even even raising up the issue, is it, does it have any significance? I think that uh, Hillary has a lot to offer. Whatever position uh, President-elect Biden decides uh, to put her in uh, would be accretive to him and his policies. So whether it's 
ambassador to the UN or whether it's a minister, uh, secretary of defense or whatever, uh, there's no question that she has a lot to offer at multiple levels. And he would do well to do that and appoint her. And, you know, uh, the, her experience, make, you know, together with his, makes a formidable force versus a real estate uh, developer. I think uh, if she's doing something like this, uh, the, the, the advice you will give her is just with one condition, don't let me deal with Bibi again, because we remember her term as a minister, as a secretary of state the other uh, four years. I think she will never forget it. And uh, you touched, before ending, you touched uh, before the, the Palestinian issue, you know, the, here in Israel, no one speaks about the Palestinian issue since Trump was, uh, came to office. And in Jerusalem, uh, people are curious whether Biden administration would restore the Palestinian issue to its agenda. Netanyahu managed to bury the issue and any chance of peace negotiations as long as Trump was in the White House. Will Biden have the energy and the will to push the renewed Israeli-Palestinian negotiation, you know, with the coronavirus, with the economy, economy, with all these headaches he's going to suffer? You know, many people in Israel think that um, Israel is top of Biden's agenda. Uh, I'll mention a couple of things that probably uh, are ahead of Israel in his agenda, from the corona to the economy, to China, to Russia, just to mention these four, and he's got his plate full. So let's not delusion ourselves that Israel is top of Biden's agenda, and or that Israel is the center of his agenda, um, or that Israel is the center of the world. It isn't. That's the reality of life. So that's point number one. With that as background, I believe that he will appoint people to deal with that issue in a manner that he believes in, i.e. two state for two people. What does a state mean? And what the details are remains to be seen. And what does he really believe in? remains to be seen. And I don't know whether it's a version of the Trump plan or it's a, a version of the original two state or that Olmer discussed at the time. I have no idea. And it's above my pay grade to even opine. I will, however, say that separating from a Palestinian, to me, humbly, I would say this, Sounds like a pretty good idea. And an Israeli interest above all. My two final questions. First, from your knowledge, and you know in, uh, intimately uh, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, you spoke and met him, met him for many times. And I guess also uh, President-elect Biden. You know, there is a lot of bad blood personally between them because I think Biden was standing there when Netanyahu arrived uh, 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 in 2015 to to have this, uh, this famous speech in the Congress without, uh, uh, without telling President Obama before. And then also we have 2010 issue in Israel when Biden was visit visiting Jerusalem. And in the middle of the visit, there was an announcement of uh, you know, 
thousand uh, housing units in Jerusalem, in East Jerusalem. What's your advice to Bibi how to break the ice and, and start all over again and, and restart their relationship when they meet first time in the White House? Don't lie to Biden would be my first advice. However, from Biden's point of view, during the primaries, if there was one person during the debates that shred Biden to pieces, as she knows really well how to do, was Kamala Harris. No one attacked Biden like Kamala Harris. He is above that. And he has proven that in such a crucial choice, like who his running mate will be. So therefore, he has proven over and over again that he looks at the matter and the substance of the matter and does what's right for America and what's right for the U.S.-Israel relationship. He is not a small man like some big men are small. This was brilliant. Uh, last question. Are you concerned about the White House transition? Can President Trump really delegitimize the election results and manage to stay in Oval? His latest moves uh, at the Pentagon do not uh, bode well. Well, Trump is going to do what uh, he thinks is good for him. The, he's not interested in what's good for America or for the U.S.-Israel alliance or BB or none of that. He's going to do what's good for him. And uh, because he's unpredictable, it's very difficult to guess how far he will take this most unusual steps that he has taken, uh, unprecedented, uh, non-democratic. But all this is secondary to what is good for him personally? And that is what is going to guide him. And, you know, your guess would be as good as mine. I have no idea. And God bless America. Kain Saban, this was fascinating. And I enjoyed it very much. Thank you for this conversation. Take care. We'll now just take a short commercial break and be back uh, right after this with some uh, final thoughts. Thank you, Thank you Kain. Thank you for having me. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. I'm Andrew Parasoliti, president of the award-winning media news site, El Monitor, where we cover the Middle East with some of the best reporters and columnists anywhere. And I'm excited to announce our new podcast, On the Middle East, where each week I will interview newsmakers from the U.S. and the region about the latest news and trends with additional commentary from our on-the-ground correspondents. Those of you who follow the region know that what happens in the Middle East doesn't stay in the Middle East. And to cite another great movie line, every time the U.S. tries to get out, the region pulls us back. Your time is valuable, so let me promise you this. You will learn something and you will never be bored because each week we'll be talking with and listening to those leaders who are making the news and shaping the trends in this critical and fascinating region. So please subscribe to On the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti.
Thank you for staying with us. Chaim Saban uh, is not very worried about the relationship, uh, the future relationship between Israel and Netanyahu and the Biden administration and the Democrats. He says the bad blood between uh, the Democratic Party and Israel is reversible. The progressive radical movement is a loud minority and his tip to Netanyahu is just please don't lie to President Biden. About Iran, uh, Chaim Saban is not very worried about the, the Biden strategy. He says that uh, the Trump strategy vis-a-vis -vis Iran is a total failure. Iran is a lot more closer now to, to be nuclear than it was in the Obama days. And Biden will engage to negotiate with Iran and take care of business. And when I asked him what did Biden have that won him the election. What was the X factor that Hillary Clinton did not have four years ago? Chaim Saban said a very clever thing. He had four years of Trump presidency. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we will see you here in On Israel in Al Monitor next week on Monday. Take care.